0: We are going to, uh, kind of push pause on moving into John 6 for a, for a couple of weeks. Um, as we made our way through John 5, one of the, uh, the Old Testament, um, themes, I guess, that is brought up in John 5, what the, what the Jews use to, uh, bring an accusation against Christ is the fact that he has broken the Sabbath. Um, as we've looked over the last several weeks, Jesus has Jesus responds to that in several ways. And one one response to that is, "No, I haven't." Um, another response to that uh, that he gives is the fact that um, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He his father works up until now, and he works from now. Um, and so, in going through those messages. I have had uh, several people ask me, starting from uh, the first message all the way through the last, several people ask me, well, what do we do with the Sabbath now? How does the Sabbath relate to how we view our Sundays and what applies, what doesn't apply? And so I think that's a question worth asking. I think it's a question that's worth thinking about. And so um, I want to spend the next couple of weeks Thinking about how we can uh, shine the light of Scripture onto a question like that, there are several different views when it comes to how should we view the Sabbath in uh, light of uh, the New Testament. Um, and so, there's uh, um, you know varying opinions. So, what I want to do today is not necessarily uh, say anything about the Sabbath. But I want to kind of uh, pull back just a little bit and give you an idea of how I would approach a question like this or any other question as far as how do we understand something from Scripture, a theme in the Old Testament that carries over into the New, anything like that. One of the things that I've tried to, uh, I don't know if emphasize is the right word, but at least tried to incorporate over the years, as I've preached various topics and subjects, is uh, to step back from time to time and try to equip you with the understanding that if you spent a little bit of time applying at least an approach that you, for yourself, can pull out of scripture what's there. here's I guess what I mean by that. I hope um, this is my hope anyway. I hope that that when I'm dead and gone, that the response is not "Now who are we going to ask?" but I'm thankful I've been equipped. While I still need a pastor, okay, I'm thankful I've been equipped to go to the Word and find God's answers. Okay, that's the goal, and it should be the goal, of any man of God who takes a pulpit on Sunday morning or on Wednesday evening. We're seeking to exalt the Word and hopefully demonstrate to you how to handle the Word so that you can benefit and profit from the Word. And so this morning, the title of the message is just simply the gift of Scripture. Now, we're not leaving John whenever we say that, because this is a theme that threads its way all the way through the Gospel of John. The gift of Scripture, or we could say the gift of revelation. God has revealed some things to us, and... The way that John looks at that is as a tremendous gift. We think about Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That is, your revelation, the scriptures that you've given me, brings light. That is, it brings understanding. It's a guide so that I know where to go, so that I know how to respond to various situations, so that I know how to live my life in a way that honors you, whether that be the way we live our lives um, as a church body or how we live our lives on uh, as individuals. That's how we handle a Sunday, and that's also how we handle a Monday through Saturday. Lord, you've given us this light in your word. And it's a gift. It's a gift. Let me just remind you of several ways that John has emphasized this. This gift of Scripture that we have. This gift of revelation. John 1.18 No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. No man has seen God at any time, John says, but the Son has. The Son who is in the bosom of the Father, the Son who has this intimate relationship with the Father, and the Son has done something for us that is magnificent. He's done something for us that is a tremendous blessing. He's spoken. He's opened his mouth and declared what he's seen and what he knows. When Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in verses 11 through 13, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen And you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Again, he's in a conversation with Nicodemus. They're talking about the nature of the kingdom. Nicodemus is essentially saying what you're what you're telling me doesn't make any sense. And Jesus says, I'm telling you about the things that I know. You're trying to talk about things that you don't know. We know what we're talking about because we've seen these things. I've come from the Father. No no other person has ever seen him or been with him, but I was with him and I've come down and I've spoken. Okay, John chapter 5, and again, this is just a quick reminder of the theme that goes through John up into where we've been so far. In John uh, chapter 5, this is where we've been the last couple of weeks. Verse 20, John chapter 5, verse 20, For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth Him all things that He Himself Doeth Jesus has this, again, this unique position with the Father, where the Father has revealed to Him all things. You could also jump to verse 37. The Father Himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His shape, You have not heard his, and you have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him you believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So again, Jesus is pointing back to this is not the last time. As we continue to go through John, this theme is going to come up again and again and again. And what is the theme? Well, the theme here is that. God has fully revealed Himself to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? We have have a couple of things that are addressed in this statement. Every time Jesus makes it, there's a couple of things that, that are being focused on. Number one... The authority of Scripture. Okay? The authority of Scripture. Now there's more than just that going on, and we'll talk about that. But whenever Jesus, particularly whenever we're thinking about John chapter 5, and, and and Jesus is pushing back against the claim that he has broken the Sabbath, he didn't break the Sabbath. He just broke the extra laws that were implemented to try to prop up the Sabbath. So Jesus is is, is pointing to the authority of Scripture that Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is, if God has said it and he's given it to us, then that's authoritative. Whatever the Son has revealed, as far as Christians go, I can hold you accountable to that, and you can hold me accountable to that. Okay, we must place ourselves under the Word of God because we've been called to live by it. Okay, so that's part of what he's addressing. The authority of Scripture, it's important. It's an important doctrine for us to understand. We'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. But secondly, maybe this kind of sharpens the focus just a little bit more. What Jesus is revealing, okay, Jesus comes from the heart of the Father and what He's revealing is giving clarity to things about God that had only been given in types and shadows in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, okay, those are synonymous. So again, He's pointing us to the authority of Scripture, but then we have to ask the question, Well, in some of the things that Jesus is saying as far as fulfilling the law and some of the Old Testament, um, since it's being fulfilled in him, it's going away as far as its relevance and its binding on us, how in the world do we figure out what's what? Well, Jesus in in his revelation, the logos, the full expression of God, and God's will to his people, he's beginning to reveal and give clarity to the things about God that again were revealed in types and shadows. So so things like what? Well, I'm just going to give you some bullet points here. Some of these we've hit, some of these we haven't as far as John goes. Well, number one on the Sabbath, this is really at a mark, but in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Okay, that's a clarity that the Old Testament saints did not have. This is a new revelation. This changes the way they look at the Sabbath. How would he know that? How would anybody know that? Well, you wouldn't, unless the Son who came from the bosom of the Father revealed it and declared it. Okay, what about this? John chapter 6, Jesus says... I'm the bread of life. You know that whole story about the manna and the wilderness and the fact that God was sustaining His people day by day? All that was about Jesus. How would you know that? Well, you wouldn't unless Jesus told you. I am the living water, John 7. I am the light of the world, John 8. I am the good shepherd, John 10. I am the resurrection, John 11. I am the way and the truth and the life, John 14. I am the true vine, John 15. Now every single one of these things that Jesus claims, every single one of these themes really is what we're talking about, but every single one of these I am statements are loaded with Old Testament themes. Jesus is not just picking things out of thin air and declaring that he is these things. Jesus is taking, and John takes the time to strategically walk us through these. Jesus is taking big Old Testament themes and he's saying, Those are about me. Those were the shadow, I'm the substance. The manna that God rained down for 40 years in the wilderness that sustained the children of Israel that's the shadow okay but I'm the substance of that the water that came from the rock that's the shadow I, but I'm the substance okay the the the, the vine Israel that was a, that was a shadow I'm the substance of that okay, you're no longer banking your hopes in the performance of a nation or a group of people. I'm, I was the real vine. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, again, We're thinking about the gift of Scripture, the fact that God has given us Scripture. He has revealed Himself to us in Scripture. He has done that in the Old and the New Testament. But He's also given us a way to understand those things, both of those covenants. And this gives us a little more specificity here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter three. Um, in this chapter, Paul is talking to the Corinthians and he is um, he's saying, what do we need to commend ourselves to you? Um, he says uh, a letter or an epistle. And he says, you are our epistle because um, of what Christ has done in and through you. Uh, in, in in response to our labors, okay? And so then he he says in verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Verse 6 is really where I'm going to park it. Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For well, the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Okay, so Paul says that God, or Christ, who is his sufficiency in verse 6, has made him an able minister of the New Testament, or that is, of the New Covenant. Not of the letter, here's a contrast, but of the Spirit, because the letter, Old Testament, kills Or the law, we should say, kills the old covenant. But the new, um, Get back to the, uh, but the spirit uh, gives life. So Paul says, in light of the clarity that the New Testament gives to the old, God has made me a minister of the New Testament. Now, here's what we know that doesn't mean. That does not mean that God wanted Paul to throw away the Old Testament. That's not what it means. Second 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Whenever Paul wrote that letter to Timothy, the New Testament had not yet been completed. Okay, And it, you could make an argument that whenever Paul was writing that, primarily that was going to relate to the Old Testament. Just because that's what was in full existence, not because it took any precedent. Okay, so the, the Old Testament is not is not to be thrown away. There have been some who have mistakenly thought, well, you know, whatever's in the Old Testament is is irrelevant. We don't think about that anymore. We're not bound to that, uh to understanding that anymore. Not, not true. Not true. But here's what Paul does mean. He means that he's been called to minister the Old Testament in light of the new. Now think about his argument here. He says, not the letter, but the Spirit. We talked about that a while back. I can't remember, a couple of three or four weeks ago. In uh, 2 Corinthians 3.6, this, this is his contrast. The, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Well, what's the letter? What's the letter of the law? Right? It's the, it's, it's, the law was never meant to give life. The law was always meant to condemn. Okay? Under the law, no one will be justified before God. Okay? But it's this, it's the spirit that gives life. Think about it this way, and I'll go to a passage to illustrate this for you. But the letter of the law is synonymous with just with the shadow. The spirit is synonymous with the substance. In the Old Testament, we have the shadow. And in the New Testament, we have the substance. You say, well, you just making that up or what? Well, the short answer is no. Okay, Go to Romans chapter two. Romans chapter two. All right. In Romans chapter two, there is a uh, Paul is addressing circumcision here, difference between Jews and Gentiles, and um, what advantage a Jew might have over a Gentile or might not have over a Gentile, in the context of Romans one, two, and three. But in, in Romans two, circumcision is the topic that's trying to be understood in verse twenty-five. He says this: "For circumcision, this is Romans 2:25, "For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision." And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it is um, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Alright, now I will readily admit the wording of verses 25-27 through can get jumbled up, you know, it almost seems like Paul wanted to see how many times he could say circumcision in three verses, and it's just, it, it, it can get jumbled up as to what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Okay, if your circumcision is going to profit you, it's only going to profit you if you keep the entire law. That's the only profit it has. In other words, if you're going to look to, he's talking to to Jews here, if you're going to look to your circumcision as something that is going to justify you before God, it only justifies you as long as you keep all the other parts of the law. But as soon as you break one point, You may as well not even be circumcised. It doesn't mean anything. This is where he's starting. This is the letter of the law, the letter that kills. And he's again, as we go down, we'll see more about that. So he says, therefore, verse twenty-six: If the uncircumcision keep uh, keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? So what he's saying here is if somebody who is uncircumcised, that is a Gentile, keeps the righteousness of the law, will that righteousness not be counted as circumcision? Or that is, will it not, will it not mark him out as someone who is righteous under the law? And verse 27 Shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. So, in other words, will your, uh, uh, uncircumcision, which uh, will it, will it fulfill the law, or will it judge you, put you in a, in a, in a place to where your, transgression of the law is more manifest. So then he gets really to the substance of what he's what he's getting at. And that is in verse 28, for he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of man but of God. Now, here's the point that Paul's making, you can see that this letter, spirit from um, 2 Corinthians three is here. The letter or the outward, or the shadow here is the outward circumcision. Okay. The, the, the mark that God gave his people through Abraham. Okay. this is the letter or the shadow. The spirit Or that is the substance is the circumcision of the heart or regeneration. Okay. That, that, that's what's important. This is what Paul's driving home. Okay. Circumcision, uncircumcision, essentially Paul says, who cares? That was written and given as a shadow of the substance. And the substance is the fact that God was going to circumcise your hearts through the regenerating work of the Spirit. And so the argument continues. He is a Jew, which is one inwardly, not outwardly. Okay? We have letter, Spirit. The letter says, if you want to be a Jew, you've got to be circumcised. The Spirit says, we're thinking about the substance now is that those shadows just pointed to the reality that one of these days, God was going to circumcise the hearts of His people and that He was going to regenerate them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the point of all of this? You may be thinking, Lewis, well, at this point, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, if you don't know anything else about what I'm saying, you should know this. The only way we could possibly know that the Old Testament circumcision was pointing to the circumcision of the heart that would come through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. The only reason we could possibly know that is because what because of what God has revealed to us in the New Testament. It's the only way we have clarity on that. Now you could go to Jeremiah thirty-one, and you could go to um, Ezekiel, and you could get push. You could start pushing in that direction. But by the time we get to the New Testament, it becomes crystal clear that Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant and the different things that were happening in the Old Testament under the law were shadows of the substance that would be revealed to us through Christ. And I honestly don't think that on any given day, we understand the tremendous blessing that we have living on this side of the New Testament. The tremendous burden that's been lifted and what it means that you have been made free through Christ. So when we're thinking about, again, the gift of Scripture, we're thinking about how do we understand Scripture. You've heard this quote before, probably this quote that um, Augustine gave when he says the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. Okay, so it's it's uh, the New Testament doesn't you know, some people have this idea that in the Old Testament you have one version of God, in the New Testament you have another version of God. No, that's not the case. In the Old Testament you have God's eternal counsels that are being displayed in types and shadows, in the New Testament you get the substance and the real thing. So now the question is why is any of this important? Why is any of this important? We'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm just going to start by reading the first five verses. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right, so the question is, based on what we said earlier, based on this reality that we've been given the gift of Scripture through the gift of the revelation of Jesus Christ who has... As through his uh, spoken word, through what he's given us in the New Testament, has clarified what was given in the Old. Okay, why is it important? Well, number one, this is out of uh, verse five, First Corinthians chapter two. It's important because your faith should stand in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. Everybody's head should be doing this right now. That's why it's important. Your faith doesn't need to stand on what Brother Lewis thinks or what Brother anybody else thinks. Your faith needs to stand on the power of God, which in this context is just simply the testimony of God, what God has revealed, what God has said. This is what Paul says in, in in verse one of chapter two. I didn't come to you with with uh, excellency of speech or or, or wisdom. And, and what he's talking about there, by the way, is is these vain philosophies, worldly philosophies, the philosophies of men. He's not saying I came to you and and um, and tried to come across as ignorant as I could. He's saying, I wasn't mixing philosophies. I wasn't mixing the word of God with with anything else. But he says, I came unto you declaring the testimony of God. And so, brothers and sisters, whenever we think about what it means, as far as the fact that we've been given the gift of Scripture and why this is important, Well, point number one is that it's important because this is where our faith should stand. He says it's not in the wisdom of men. That is, it's not in, you know, it's not in um, uh, secular philosophies. It's not in worldly wisdom. Um, It's not in um, uh, ideas or schemes or opinions. He says what I came to tell you was directly from God's word. Paul says, I was relying on the power of the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to build the faith up of the people of God. You should never, ever forget that. If you've been here very long, then you realize, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, but I am saying I try at it. You realize that It's pretty predictable if you want to figure out what I'm going to do with the passage. I'm going to read it. I'm going to break it down into chunks. And then I'm going to spend the rest of my time parked in that passage trying to expose what's there. Now there's going to be some cross-references and all that sort of thing, but I'm going to park it in the passage. When we're in John 5, we're, we're in John 5. We want to know what John 5 says about John 5. Now, one of the, one of the ways that, that people get this wrong as far as our faith standing in the power of God is that they take a passage and they try to understand the passage in light of 50 scriptural cross-references that may or may not have anything to do with that passage. And I've illustrated this to you before. We could have a theology of eagles by looking up the word eagle in scripture, right? And if we did that, you want to know what we would know about God's thoughts on eagles? Nothing. Because most of the time that they're used, they're being used as illustrations, And so Paul says, what I did when I came to you was I just simply declared to you what God has declared to us. Now that does a couple of things. Number one, that gives you the ability, hopefully, that gives you the ability to discern whether or not what I'm saying is actually coming from Scripture. Because that's where I'm trying to stay. That's what I'm trying to expose. Now, another way that we can get off course here, so I said, number one, sometimes people feel secure in Scripture because they have, again, 50 cross-references. What I mean by cross-reference is just some other Scripture that seems to have something to do with the passage, whether it does or doesn't. Another way that people can get off is, is they can take a passage or a concept and they can say, "Well, let me study this out by seeing what everybody else has said about it. There's nothing wrong with knowing what somebody else has said about it. That's what you do every Sunday morning whenever I'm preaching to you. You're getting my opinion. The goal is that your faith is not standing in the fact that Brother Lewis is inerrant. The the, the goal is that you're standing in the inerrant Word of God as it is exposed, as you can see that it's accurate, that it's there, and then it's embraced. Okay, So this is important. You will either be set free or you will be enslaved by what you build your faith upon. Okay, it's one or the other. What I mean When I say set free, I just mean you will walk in the freedom or the abundant life that Christ has given you or you will be ensnared and you will be enslaved. How do you know that you're doing enough? How do you know that Sundays are the days we ought to be here? How do you know we shouldn't be coming on Saturdays? How do you know it's okay for you to put gas in your car and drive here on Sunday? How do you know it's okay for you to make a casserole for us to eat here on Sunday? How do you know any of that? How do you know that you weren't supposed to wash your your dish that you use Monday through Saturday normally? How do you know you weren't supposed to wash that in some sort of a special way to set it apart for the use of a Sunday lunch meal? How do you know that? Some of you think that's silly and some of you think, well, I don't know. How do you know that? Well, the question, I mean the answer's here. This is how you know that. The truth is, if I had a if I had a slick enough tongue, I could I could give you a pretty good argument as to why you ought to keep a special jug of water in your house that I've prayed over. And you ought to use that prayed over water to wash your casserole dish before you bring it here on Sunday morning so that we're eating out of a holy dish on a holy meal on a holy day. Now you laugh all you want if you're snickering, but give me about five weeks and with some of you, you'd be convinced. All you need to do is know what a good argument's made out of, know how to sprinkle a couple of verses in, And I got you hooked. You're my slave for the rest of my life until you learn how to read Scripture. You'll be washing with that silly jug of water until Christ comes back, unless you learn how to read Scripture. Okay, So it's important so that your faith stands in the power of God. Now, number two, what we get out of this, why is it important for us to understand this? Look in verse 6. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world nor of the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Okay, This is our second point as far as why this is important. Number one, our faith should stand in the power of God or in the Word of God. Why? Why is that the case? Okay, Number two, Because God's wisdom has been concealed from the natural man, hidden from from the natural man. In other words, God has intentionally put his wisdom at odds with the wisdom of man. Or we could say it a different way. The wisdom of man is rebelliously at odds with the wisdom of God. Either way you want to say it. Look in Isaiah fifty-five. Isaiah fifty-five. Again, we're trying to understand here, or at least build an understanding for how do we how do we discern these things? How do we how do we embrace and and, and use the gift of scripture that's been given to us? And how do we understand how to do that? Um, Isaiah 55, so the point we're making here is that God's wisdom is concealed from the natural man. Isaiah 55, verse 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." Now, in this context, as far as Isaiah 55 goes, he's using this to try to encourage the people to turn back to him in repentance and and, so that he would show mercy. The point that he's making here, though, is my ways are not your ways. You would never arrive to this conclusion on your own. This is not something that you're going to stumble into He says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my thoughts above your thoughts. Again, the wisdom of man is so far removed from the wisdom of God. If you want to know how it is that God would have you to understand a particular concept or to understand how you should live or how you should um, respond to a certain area, well, you're not going to find it. Look into philosophies. You're not going to find it. Look into men's wisdom, whatever you want to put in there. Again, Matthew 11 would say it in a different way, and there's a greater point to be made here. Matthew 11. Um, in, In Matthew 11, in verse 25, Jesus prays to His Father and He says, I thank Thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because Thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them Unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. And I'm going to stop there. Here's the prayer. This is what Jesus is thanking God for, but this is also what Jesus is is acknowledging, teaching here. That the Father has hidden these things. What things? These spiritual realities. He's hidden these things from the wise and from the prudent. We're going to get to a minute the fact that he does reveal them to babes. But again, the natural man. Thinking back again in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man doesn't receive the things of God because those things are spiritually discerned and the natural man cannot receive those things. Why? Because they're hidden. Because he doesn't have eyes to see, because he doesn't have ears to hear, and because he will not stumble upon any of these things. So how is it that God reveals these things to babes? Well, he reveals these things to babes, number one, by speaking, and then number two, by giving them ears to hear and eyes to see. Now, it's important that we understand what we're saying when we say that. If God were to simply give you eyes to see and ears to hear, but He never spoke, you'd be no better off. Here's what I mean by that. A, a regenerate person who does not have the Word of God has nothing to build their faith on. Now that, that, that may seem like a odd statement to you no man at any time has ever seen God the only begotten son who comes from the bosom of the father he's seen him and he's declared him the declaration comes from Christ to us regeneration gives us the capacity to receive and understand So when you think about building your faith, this is an ongoing thing. It's a building block that you're receiving Scripture, understanding Scripture, applying Scripture, but Scripture is, Scripture is what's informing your faith. That's again, that's the whole argument there in Romans 10. How will they believe unless someone preach? We're not talking about faith being imparted by the Word. We're talking about faith being built by the Word. Okay, so God's wisdom is at odds with man's wisdom. And until He reveals that to us through His Word and through the power of the Spirit, we are left blind. So what does this mean? What does this mean in relation to our overall point? Um, Well, it means that aside from... An accurate understanding of Scripture. Aside from an accurate understanding of Scripture, we are left with a wisdom that is incompatible with God's wisdom. And we're also left with a wisdom that is at war with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. And so there's really only one way to know the will and the ways of God and that is through His revelation. Okay, That's it. Even, even, if, you're, even if you're born again, even if you're born again, the, the capacity that you have to just stumble onto truth Without the word, it's just not there. Your 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 spirit bears witness with the word, and your faith grows as you're as you're in the word. So God's wisdom is concealed from the natural man. But then the third point is the one we've been getting at here in First Corinthians two. Verses 10 through 16. But God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. We're, we have a, an argument here for the Holy Spirit that parallels that John one eighteen argument. He says, essentially, who knows what's in man's heart except for a man? You don't know what's in my heart. I don't know what's in your heart. But we can have an idea of of what's going on inside of us. So he says, who's going to understand what's in God's heart except for his spirit? He does know. And so he's revealed these things. Verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." All right, quickly as we think about this last section, God's wisdom has been revealed to us by His Spirit through His Word. You may say, well, you're adding the last part on. Well, think about this. God is revealed by His Spirit. Well, what has the Spirit done? What do we have through the Spirit? Well, number one, we think about 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. We know that the reason we have Scripture is because the Spirit moved men of old as they spoke. When we talk about the inspiration of Scripture, what we're really saying in a nutshell is that the Holy Spirit wrote a book and He used men to do it. Okay? But they were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke. Okay, So He's given us a book. 2 Timothy 3.16 would hit the same thing. It is God-breathed. Now then we, we also go back to Matthew 4 and I want to make a few points here. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to make a clarifying point here that's important when you're trying to think about how do I understand something? I want you to notice the emphasis that Jesus makes in Matthew 4.4. You should live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. The emphasis on comes out of the mouth of God. Revelation is the opposite of concealing, right? So revelation is what God has actually spoken. If He wants us to live by it, He has spoken it or He has revealed it. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine: the secret things belong to the Lord. What are the secret things? They're the things He hadn't said anything about. But those things which He has revealed, He has given to us and to our children that we might do them. Okay, so again, the emphasis here, how should we think about these things? Well, if God wants us to do it, He has said it. He's revealed it. He hasn't left us in the dark. Now, there's a couple of counter arguments that that would push against this, and sometimes they can be kind of confusing. Um, Some people say that there are aspects of Scripture where Scripture doesn't directly address this because it assumes that you would already come to this conclusion i was in a conversation one time about scripture and politics and what scripture has to say about all that and there's a there's a um, uh a view that says one of these days the the kingdom of god is going to grow from within and and uh christians are going to take over the political realm and And there's going to be this earthly uh, advance. And uh, eventually the word of God will and the glory of God will cover the earth because his people will pretty much take over the over the world. And so one of the questions I had was, well, why doesn't the Bible say that then? And the answer was, well, it just assumes that you'll come to that conclusion. Well, here's the problem I have with that. Ephesians chapter, chapters five and six. Now, let me, I'm not going to turn to a specific scripture here. I'm just going to reference it and, and you'll get it pretty quick. If scripture was going to assume anything, don't you think it would be a safe assumption that husbands should love their wives? I mean, does that blow your socks off? Don't you think it's a safe assumption that wives ought to submit to their husbands based on what you already know from the Old Testament and based upon what they already knew? Don't you think it's a safe assumption that children ought to obey their parents? I mean, is he just reworking the whole thing there? No. Don't you think it's a safe assumption that servants ought to obey their masters? So my question in in and the whole idea that Scripture would just assume is if God didn't assume that husbands would know that they needed to love their wives the way Christ loved the church, and that wives would need to respect their husbands, and that children would need to obey their parents, and that servants of all things would need to obey their masters. If he didn't assume that, then what makes me think he's assuming these other big things? It just doesn't fit. The other thing is uh, you can infer things from Scripture. You can infer things from Scripture. This is actually more common than people think. A lot of times people will uh, recognize this from a um, Presbyterian or a Pado baptist type theology, but uh, inferences abound in the way people understand Scripture. A lot of times people do it and they don't even know they're doing it. Well, here's the problem with both of these. They both rely on man's wisdom. They both rely on man's wisdom. You've got to be the one filling in the details. You've got to be the one to decide that Scripture assumes. You've got to be the one who decides that, well, this was written and stayed silent because you were supposed to infer this or that. it is important that if our faith is going to rest in the Word of God and the power of God alone, then our faith has to rest in the direct propositions that are given to us out of the mouth of God. And your head should be doing this right now. Okay? Okay. So the Spirit gives us His Word. The Spirit then gives us perception and understanding. That is, eyes to see, ears to hear. Um, John 16, 13, He'll lead you into all truth. Ephesians 1, the prayer that Paul uses that the eyes of your understanding would be open. Well, I hope that As we close the message, I hope you've been able to track with me and, and, and been able to, number one, understand the, the, just the great gift that the Lord has given us through Scripture. But number two, understand the, uh, the importance that we stand on this gift, that we stand on the Word, the Scriptures that have been given to us by God. Now, the only the, the reason that I did this message is, number one, to point that out, but number two, to say, now as we begin, starting on next week, as we begin to think about the question of, so what do we do with the Sabbath? What do we do with the Lord's Day and the Sabbath and how all that stuff meshes? Well, now you're in a position where you can come back and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Brother Lewis, you violated the sermon you've just preached. You can't come at us with that. You may as well give us a a, a pot full of holy water to wash our Sunday dishes with. Right? You can't come at us with that. It's got to be based on Scripture. Not what Scripture doesn't say. Not what Scripture assumes you would already know but on what God has revealed, spoken to us about this matter or any other matter. And so may God bless us to, number one, esteem the gift that he's given us. And then number two, may he bless us to use it and grow in our skill with it. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have Spoken to us, that we live on this side of the New Testament, that you've given us your complete revelation, that we have heard the words of your Son, and that you've given us these things that we might be equipped, and that our faith may be built upon them. And so, Lord, I pray we would be diligent to use the gift that you've given us, and I pray that we would be faithful, not to deviate to the left or to the right pray that You would grow our skill and that You would bless us through the power of Your Spirit with understanding. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.